a nigga back down to back a road. I give my old soul what it's asking for. I'm trying to find where them angels sing at, where X and King at. So listen for the knowledge I bring back. A cigarette pack and a deuce bottle. Blue collar, ain't too much we can do, father. Take it. Of life so anxiously Tell me this is about more than sex and buying weed Maybe, but anyway we burn daily Silk Bailey's, early sex, unwanted babies Scream push till I push daisies Pops raised me through this blind, crippled and crazy world I'm just riding along Why was that shit so low? <laughs> Alright But anyway, we burn daily. Daisies, pops raised me through this blind, crippled, and crazy world. I'm just riding along, see where it takes me. Keep buying cars and rims until it breaks me. I fold like bread on a loose sandwich, too damaged. Still, I gotta slow down and find a balance. Yo, 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 what's up, man? It's your boy Jay Bennett here with another Cushion Coffee podcast. Today, we're going to go and do one special. We got one for the veterans today, man. I got my uncle on here, one of my mentors, one of my greatest mentors in my life. Helped me with a lot of direction in life when needed. Somebody that I can actually depend on when needed, called on when needed. You know what I'm saying? He's always been there for me. But he came on here to tell you his story as being a veteran, as being a U.S. citizen, being a great father to two Marines, uh, my cousins Jimmy and Jerry. Shout out to them. Uh, 20 years enlisted in the Marine Corps. One's about to be a master gunner, young. Yeah, a uh, master sergeant. Master sergeant. Yes, sergeant sir. major. Shout out Sergeant Major Banda. What's up, Buck, man? How you doing? Good, 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 good. Just, just uh, you know, making it, trying. So for uh, being a vet, I'll tell a little bit about the self, man, how you got in into the Army in the beginning. First, tell the story at the beginning of you growing up and oh, okay. tell a little backstory about yourself. Uh, let's see. Well, I was born and raised right here in East Chicago, probably to about nine in the, in the harbor. And uh, uh, we were taken into a children's home. Uh, well, we stayed for about five years, me and your dad. Uh, we were mentored there by Sister Giuseppe, who until today I still being mentored by. Um, from then, uh, I joined the Army. I wasn't patriotic, I'm going to admit it. I joined the army because I was for the projects and I needed a job. And my wife just had was pregnant, so that's the honest part. But while I was in, I became patriotic, and until the day I love my country. Um, I went to a few places: uh, Kentucky, 101st, um, Fort Richardson, Alaska, and Fort Hood. Fort Irwin, California, Fort Sherman, Panama. Uh, got out in 86 and uh, went on to Florida, started trucking, driving the truck. Did that for about 20 years and went to San Antonio, worked for Boeing for a couple years, and then uh, I went ahead and 
called the check, man. Time to clock out, so I clocked out the last time, January 2016. Been retired ever since. In the beginning, uh, going back to your childhood, you said Sister Giuseppe raised you. Like, what was that growing up? You think, like, if uh, being in situations like that, did it help or did it, like, make things worse for you? Oh, no, no, no. You know, when you're a kid and stuff, you know, it hurts because you're getting taken away from your family. But uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I just talked to Sister today. I thanked her again because, you know, she made me who I am. And uh, God knows what I would have been if it wasn't for her guidance. Yeah. But uh, she was a real important part of my life. Uh, <clears throat> and she still is. So Now, before uh, you guys messaged Giuseppe or you guys had to go live in the home, what were you guys like before, man? <laughs> Shit. Were you and my uncles oh, and my dad? Man. Well, you know, we was those little kids breaking windows, you know. And mind you, when you guys were taken away, it was what what year? Uh, 1971. 1971. How old were you at the time? I was uh, nine years old. Nine years old. Mm -hmm. And you guys got taken away because we was in uh, we was in a lot of mischief, man. My mom, she was single parent. My dad, that's another story. We'll say that for another story, but. My mom was a single mom trying to take care of all us roughnecks, and uh, we was explorers, man. We roamed the city. Um, we did a lot of things, but we never did a lot of bad stuff, we, you know, breaking some windows, uh, stealing out of cars and stuff like that, but we never hurt nobody. But eventually we got out of control, so they offered to help my mom, and they took me and three of my brothers, put us in children's homes. So, like, what were, what were you guys up to, man? Like, can you tell me a couple stories? <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I mean, we did some crazy shit. I mean, we used to stand on the corner and watch the cops go by and just start running like crazy and make them think that we did something wrong. We didn't even do nothing wrong. We just wanted them to chase us. And we were so little, they couldn't take us to jail. They'd just take us home. But it would piss them off. <laughs> And this is back in the harbor in East Chicago? Oh, yeah, in, in the harbor mainly. We grew up on Pensy. It's unfortunate all the homes that we grew up in, they're all gone. They've been torn down. But, yeah, we grew up on Pensy, and that's where uh, we, we wreaked havoc on Main Street. We used to shoe shine, uh, hustle. Like I said, we never hurt nobody, but we was up at the crack of dawn, and until the sun went down, we was hustling. So, man, my dad told me one time about getting in trouble and messing up some dentures, man. Oh, yeah. I, th <laughs> I think that was the ice, that was the, the that broke everything. Uh, my brother Ray and Rolando, they broke into a dentist's office and they uh, opened up a bunch of dental teeth, uh, false teeth, and they shattered them all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. And it was like, I mean, you can imagine how much damage they tore up the whole dental, dental store. I don't know why. We was I was outside, so I never made it in the building. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the cops was so frustrated because that was a lot of damage, and my mom was poor, and they wasn't getting paid. Nobody was getting paid, so they figured that was the last straw. Man, we had to help. My mom, uh, she had uh, six other children besides us four, and uh, it helped her out a lot. But uh, 
it took us to a better place, better direction, and uh, it did us all well. You can tell your dad's doing good himself. So dealing with that and experience of that, how were you, were you scared the first time you were there? Like it, coming from, you know what I'm saying, being taken away from your family and then like. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, your typical stuff, you know. Couldn't sleep that first night, but the good thing with me was I had my little brother with me. So I had to be the big brother. Uh, your dad was younger and uh, he was more traumatized than I was. But So with him being there, it was a little bit easier and you know, even until the day, we're still real strong together. You know, at one point, that's all we had. What are some of the best memories you had growing up in the Carmel at home? Oh, man, shit. We had so much fun, man. I mean, we got a Facebook club right now, Facebook Carmel at Home for Boys. Check it out, man. Got a lot of stories in there, a lot of members. Guys that I grew up with, like brothers, you know, and uh, we still keep in touch. and. Uh, we never have bad stuff to say about the home, man. Going to the Cubs games and Bears games and the White Sox games that I didn't go to, but, uh, you know, Bulls games, Blackhawks, camping, you know, all that crazy stuff that we was never going to do in the projects. But it was some great experiences, great experiences. So you say that Sister Giuseppe made you a Cubs fan? <laughs> <laughs> you know the story. You know the story with the Cubs fan is uh, we used to get on this bus from the home, and when we went to the White Sox Comiskey Park, it was only like a fifteen-minute ride. But when we went to Wrigley Field, it take like almost an hour. You drive through the city, see the skyscrapers, and nobody wanted to go see the White Sox. We wanted to go see the Cubs because you could see the city. And, you know, the addiction started from there, you know. Until the day I still enjoy driving through the city on my way to Wrigley Field. It brings back a lot of memories. Being a Cubs fan, how was it in 2016, man, when they finally won for you? <laughs> you know, I, we were just talking about it the other day. I knew. I just had a feeling. Even when we was down, you know, three games to one, I just knew it was going to happen. Uh, I don't know what, but. I, I knew it was going to happen, and I was trying to prepare myself because I didn't want to have a heart attack. <laughs> Being fucking so happy. <laughs> so uh, after uh, you said learn your direction from being in the Carmelot home, so like this is discipline, basically? Or? Yeah, you know, everything was constructed. Everything was ordered. You know, you got up at a certain time. You went to school. They sent us to Catholic school there at St. Casimir's there in Hammond great school. I just actually I just went to church there for the first time. Uh, 51 years ago I was introduced to God there at that church so you know I had my little reunion just last week there but um, you know went to Catholic school everything was disciplined we were required to behave uh, when we when we didn't behave we weren't strongly disciplined but you know, we weren't allowed to go to Cubs games or we weren't allowed to go to certain places if you didn't behave, so. But me, you know, being good, like I used to tell my kids, being good is easy, being bad takes a lot of work. So, being good was easy for me. So after that, uh, when you got out of Carmelite home and everything like that, when did you uh, decide to go to the, the Army? Well, I got out to Cumberland home when I was 14, and um, I still lived a couple years there in Calumet, there at the projects. And uh, 
went to school at Roosevelt High School and uh, um, finally met my my wife, who's my wife today, 42 years. I met her um, when I was 15, almost 16 years old. We got married when I was 17, and the rest is history. I've done two life terms. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Chris. <laughs> but it's been good. Yeah. And then uh, you had Jerry when you were in. Yeah, Jerry Jr. was born when I was in boot camp. Actually, when I, me and that Chris got married, it was like a shotgun wedding, but there was no shotgun. You know, I got married on the 9th, and I went to boot camp on the 10th that morning. The very next morning, the recruiter came, picked me up, and took me to boot camp, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And uh, while I was there, Jerry Jr. was born uh, on November 23rd. And uh, the way it happened was, it was funny because that day was such a, well, every day at boot camp was tough, man. But that day, I was getting my ass whipped by just everything. Everything was going wrong. And uh, uh, I was laying in the bed, and uh, I could hear the security guard coming. And uh, he said my name, Banda. And I was like, oh, here we go. Old days been fucked up. Might as well keep on fucking it up. <laughs> But uh, he came to my bed and he uh, he asked me, uh, you got a son named Gerardo Bender? I said, no, sir, I don't have no kids. He, he do now, seven pounds, seven ounces, go to sleep. Yep, that's how I found out Terry Jr. was born. <laughs> Did I, you sleep? Not at all. <laughs> I think I probably fell asleep about three in the morning. And Sergeant Major coming and kicking the doors or what? Yeah, no, I, the drill sergeant, man, there was, and you know, the bad thing about it is they had to give me a, a phone call from the Red Cross when they notified me my son was born. So they had to give me uh, a call. So my drill instructor, he acted like he was mad. So like I maybe got his wife pregnant. <laughs> but he told me, you see that phone booth over there? We have phone booths back in the day. I know a lot of you people don't know what phone what booths are. <laughs> Well, we had one sitting out in the middle of the field, and we was never even allowed to go near that motherfucker. You know, if we was there, that you was drill instructor was you was you was done. Jose. But uh, that day, I guess he was forced to make me give me that phone call, and uh, so he was like, "You go over there, you go call your mommy and tell her." Whatever you want to tell her, and boo, and whatever. And then he goes, by the time I get to that phone booth, you better be off that phone. So, you know, I ran like a crazy man, like uh, Jason, you know, getting chased by Jason and shit in Halloween or whatever. And I get to that phone booth, man, and all of a sudden, I can't get my fingers to work. Because <laughs> back in those days, you had to call collect. And I finally got my fingers to work, call collect. This is Jerry, and Chris answered the phone. And uh, I was the baby, and she said, he's good. And I said, I got to go. And the drill instructor kicked the door open, and I was done. I was, I got about two seconds. <laughs> but he gave me my phone call. <laughs> yeah, but he kicked that door in, man. And I thought he shattered the whole uh, phone booth. Well, what did you uh, used to do in the Marine Corps? Oh, not uh, the, the Marine Army. Corps, the Army. Yeah, I was, uh, when I first went in, I went in as an artillery man. And uh, 
I went there for Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to artillery school. Even the Marine Corps go to artillery school there. It's a big artillery school. And then uh, from there, uh, I went into uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, my 101st uh, division there in Fort Campbell. And uh, the thing about that place is uh, everything, you know, was air mobile. And uh, everywhere you went, you flew on helicopters. So we got to fly everywhere, all over the field. Whenever we went out to the field, it was really, really cool. Went down to Panama, down to Jungle School when I was with the 101st. That was a crazy experience. But yeah, it was really joyful. And uh, yeah, from that, uh, I got PCS and went on over to Fort Richardson, Alaska. You said uh, the artillery school is where. Didn't you say something about the helicopter, like fucking, like struck like lightning or as the static? <laughs> no, what, what's that? St- <laughs> no, what happened when I went over to 101st and I was a, a PV1, so that's like rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't even have no stripes on my shoulders, man. The motherfucker was like, where's your rank? I said, I ain't got none. But anyway, uh, I was, you know, fresh, fresh meat. And, uh, it was about knee deep of snow, and uh, I was with a 105 millimeter howitzer unit and uh, or tow unit, uh, and the helicopter was coming in, and the sergeant said, "All you got to do is like we practice inside the classroom with no snow." With no snow, <laughs> you just got to put the ring inside the donut of the helicopter. <laughs> So we practice inside a classroom, but now we're outside knee deep in snow and shit. So anyway, I get out there and I'm standing, I'm freezing. I mean, my toes are freezing. I'm like, please, I'm waiting for the sound of them helicopters to come. And all of a sudden, here they come. And sure enough, he comes over to pick me up. And like I said, I'm freezing, man. I'd been standing in the snow waiting for this cop. And I get up on there and I went to hook up to the donut of the bottom of the chopper. And I touched, <laughs> touched the ring and it gave you that electricity. Well, I tell you, the, I thought the helicopter crashed on top of me. <laughs> I, I was running all over the motherfucking place. <laughs> and I, when I got up out of the snow, man, I looked over to like the sidelines because we was out in the middle of the field and my sergeants and them was on the sidelines and there was like laughing their ass, like bent over laughing. I come running over. I was like, what the fuck? I was still in shock. <laughs> They said, dude, you should have seen the lightning bolt that came out that <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then all of a sudden, I realized my feet weren't fucking cold no more. <laughs> my feet was nice and toasty, man. Oh, but, shit. Yeah. So, static electricity or what? Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you hit the donut on the bottom of the chopper, you're supposed to, like, let go of the donut almost at the same time as it's hitting that locking pin on there. Like, we practice indoors, but... <laughs> You know, it was my first shot outdoors with a real helicopter holding <laughs> over my fucking head. And I was freezing to death. And, you know, the, these cats, all these sergeants and guys from my unit, they knew what was going to happen. And uh, I guess that's why they were bent over laughing when, when it happened. <laughs> but, yeah, I learned my lesson. But So after, after uh, <laughs> that's funny, you know, so. <laughs> After moving out of uh, that division, where'd you go out of uh, after Kansas City? Uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I went, Kentucky. I went to uh, Fort Richardson, Alaska, and Anchorage, Alaska. Wow. 
What a fucking eye over there. Even if you're from uh, Chicago where the winters are cold and everything, man, but you ain't felt cold until you've been out in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it so, was an experience. So how long you, uh, how long are you serving in the Army, huh? I served uh, exactly six years and ten months. Yeah, I took some terminal leave at the end of my four-year enlistment and on the second shot and uh, went ahead and got out and started my civilian world. And uh, we'll get back to that, though. How did the civilian world, after you got out of the mil uh, military, like how did you approach the civil world after you got out? Well, you know, back in those days, man, you know, um, People were always happy to get out of the military because it was so strict and disciplined and everything. And you know, everybody, everybody always wants to do what they want to do. But yeah, you know, the opportunity was there for me to get out, and uh, uh, you know, I think I made the wrong move, but I went ahead and made the best for it. And after that, entering the civilization world, what did you end up uh, focusing <laughs> on after that? What was your first job out of the military? It was funny, man, because uh, I told my wife, I said, we was going to live in San Antonio. And um, I said, let's take the boys to Disney World for two weeks in Orlando. And uh, we'll get back to San Antonio, get settled down and find some work and stuff. So we took the kids to Disney World for two weeks and we stayed for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> we never came back. We stayed in Florida. And uh, me and your dad got a job together working on a night crew loading trucks and your dad got fired three days after for side swipe with a truck in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I stayed on that company for 11 years and yeah. What company was that? They paper company. It's a big paper paper distributing company. They distribute uh, like paper plates and cups and straws and stuff like that to bars and mom and pops delis and all over the place. So you always been a like go getter kind of guy. I'm always doing this shit the right way and figuring out the way to do it. So what did you do for that company, man? As you, as you started from the position that you started from. You, well, you know, coming out the military, um, even though we we're happy, because your dad had just got out recently after before me, and even though we were out, we were still military minded. You know, we were up early. Uh, Everything we did, we did it in detail, you know, just like they had trained us the last six, seven years. So we kind of kept on that mode, and it just led to good things. And then moving forward to moving from Florida to San Antonio to dealing with the things you had to deal with as a veteran now, like uh, you wanted to come on the show and do a veteran podcast to just give awareness of what the help is out there for veterans such as yourself. Mm -hmm. After we discussed a little bit about yourself, let's talk about more about the veteran information that you have for the individuals out there that struggle with some of the things that you struggle with now and are, are still dealing with like, and getting help from the VA, which a lot of people are not knowledgeable, like you were uh, saying yesterday or Sunday. Well, you know, um, like I was telling you, um, I was at a little point in my life when I really don't want to go to that point, but... Um, I finally went to the VA for some help and uh, not realizing uh, that there was help there for me. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but 
I met the right people. I met this lady I was telling you about. She was like a week away from a 30-year retirement from the VA. And she, she heard my stories. She said to myself, she said to me, she said, the VA owes you a lot. You deserve everything you get. And this is what I want you to do. And I did everything she told me to do. And um, I received my benefits. And not only that, but I got informed with all the benefits that were out there for veterans that I had no clue were out there. Um, the most important one out there right now, um, it's called the, the Veterans Crisis Line. And it's a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-273-8255. But um, I tell you, any veteran out there who's listening, man, if you ever need to talk to somebody, that's, that's who to talk to, man. Uh, I made three calls myself, and uh, there's always a person there. They listen. They help. They'll get you through the tough times. And uh, not only that, but they'll lead you to other parts where you can get benefits and information. And uh, I'm telling you, there's, there's no way a veteran in our country should be living on the street. This just shouldn't happen. shouldn't happen. And a lot of veterans out there who live in the streets just don't know that there's opportunities for them to get off the street. And the VA is there to help us now. I tell you, since 2015, since I got into the system, it has improved 100%. I mean, they really look out for us now. There's a lot of benefits out there for them, uh, for us, and uh, for the young guys uh, who've already served, and uh, they deserve these benefits. They're, they're out there for us. This is, uh, this is what our country gives us for what we give them. Not dealing with what you had to deal with, um, as far as like uh, the tra the trauma that you went through with the experience you went through in Alaska. Like, how was that dealing with that man your whole life and not knowing that because you said you, you got the VA help from like 2015 or something, right? You, not not your not knowing your whole life that you had it there for use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and I were just talking about that. I was telling you that. Um um, not really the money part of the benefits that we'd missed out in the 30 years. I never put uh, or uh, inquired about any information. <clears throat> but the medical part of it that I've been receiving since, that I could have been receiving from the beginning, it would have helped uh, a lot sooner. But, um, yeah, I mean... I just, I wish I would have been able to do it sooner. So in between time, not saying that you need it, and growing up from the Carmelite home in the direction that you learned from the responsibilities of being a respectable young man and all that, how would you impact your life, man, throughout? How would you describe your life? And how would you leave your mark that you left your mark in every person that you, or company that you worked for? You know, you know, every time I... Um, I was employed by a new company. I went in from at the bottom, and uh, I just always told myself that I'm, I want to be in the office. I, I want to get to the top. And I remember one job uh, where I went for an interview. 
Uh, it was Jasper Engines, a kick-ass engine company. Guys, if you ever want an engine, buy it from Jasper. But anyway, I got interviewed for a job there, and the manager had asked me what my goals would be if he hired me onto the company. And I real quickly answered it, that my goal would be was to take his job. And uh, a year later, I had his job. <laughs> True story too, baby. And that was a day paper. Uh, Jasper Engines. Jasper Engines. Yeah, yeah. By then, you know, it was the my second job I had. Well, my third job for the military, and then day paper for eleven years. Then Jasper Engines. I was just. I mean, I was selling myself, man. You know. By then, I knew what I was worth, and uh, you know, I didn't work for pennies, man. You know, whenever I applied for driving jobs, uh, I, I wrote on my application that I was a professional driver, that uh, they were getting 100%. You know, I never had an accident, drove over a million miles, never had a ticket. You know, I really drive, you know, cautious. Everybody who rides with me knows that. <laughs> but, you know... I nope. just tried to do the best I could at everything I did. and I don't know, man. You got a ticket. You got a ticket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a cracked windshield. Your dad used my license one time. He looks just like me. But i tell you another funny story. is We used to work together at that paper company, and on Fridays we got paid. And back in those days there was no direct deposit. We had paper checks. <laughs> So your dad was like, let me see your check. And I was like, why? He goes, no, let me see it. And we was going to go through the drive-thru. And uh, he decided to go inside the building. And he was going to cash my check with my ID. And uh, he sure enough did, too. I mean, me and him look alike. <laughs> Only a couple years apart. But he used to do some crazy shit, like using my license when he got pulled over. Yeah, I, Dad's doing pretty good, too, out there in San Antonio, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mo's got a good head on his shoulder. Being a parent, this is my, my cousins, how was that, man, growing up, growing those boys up? You know, I was I was probably a little tougher than I should have been, but I guess that's why one's a sergeant major and the other one's going to be a master sergeant soon. I mean, these guys are... Fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, apolog I tried to apologize to him one time, but for what? Was, for just being an asshole. I mean, I used to come around kicking doors open, yelling. I mean, I would look at report cards and just kind of, you know, overreact with C's and B's, and I wanted A's, but shit, I couldn't even get an A. But uh, you know, I demanded more from them, so. Uh, I remember one time they told me that there was just nothing they could do to make them happy, make me happy, but uh, they didn't know. They were making me happy all the time. What, what is some, uh, what, you can get a story about what your boys have done to you once, like just tricked you? <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, uh, the craziest story, we got together, uh, and we don't get to get the, uh, get together that often because they're both in the military, so it's hard to get together. But we got together there in Texas one year, and uh, we were all having a good time, you know, just sitting around, and Jerry and Jimmy debated on uh, if they should tell me, and Jimmy was like, we got to tell them. So they told me the story when uh, 
I came home from work and I cut my grass like super low and just really <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> and I, until today, you know, I love my grass. But uh, uh, I ran in the house, man, like a belligerent motherfucker. And I, <laughs> I told both of them, man, that they could not touch that lawnmower, that they were not even allowed to look at that motherfucker no more. <laughs> that, you know, they wasn't to touch my grass for the rest of their lives. And how, how old can you think they remember? They were like 13. Jerry was 13. Living with Jimmy was 11, I think. Yeah. And uh, I guess the game plan was that uh, they were going to fuck it up on purpose, get me mad, and just pray that I didn't kill them. And then they would never have to cut the grass again. And it worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Damn. <laughs> it worked. But, yeah, that's why they're some smart motherfuckers. Yeah. Going back, uh, you moving back up north, man. How has been the transition from coming back up north? Well, you know what? I, 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 never, I never dreamed that I'd be back where I started. Not that it's a bad thing, but, you know, I had traveled all over the place at this point, And after I retired, you know, my wife, she's from here. And uh, she's chased me, all, you know, wherever I wanted to go and never complained. So when we talked about me, you know, clocking out for the last time, she said, well, let's go home. So she could be with her family because she had been traveling with me to where my family was living. So I agreed with her that, it, you know, hey, let's go back home and let's do it. We'll go back home, and it's been great ever since. So let's get back to the the Alaska thing that you had to deal with, man, and the whole like uh, PSD that you got you got going on. You know, it was it was just a uh, you know a lot of people really misunderstand PTSD. You know, I mean they were you know nowadays especially people just automatically stereotype that uh, it's combat related or something like that. But, you know, there are people out there that never even served in the military and got PTSD. It's a traumatic experience that you'll go through that uh, it'll never go away. And, um, you know, they had a big operation uh, in Alaska every two years. And it was a cold weather exercise and it was countries would come from all over the place and join us for like 30 some days in extreme cold weather well <clears throat> we were finishing up that 30 some days out there in extreme cold weather and uh, on the way home we broke down me and my buddy yeah we almost died on the side of the road well, they found us by the time they found us man we were like ice cubes so and uh, after they thought us out and stuff, you know, the the way the military was back in those days, I had just got promoted to sergeant. And uh, they really ripped my a new asshole, man, because they thought, you know, it was my fault that, uh, you know, we almost died out there, even though it wasn't. But back in those days, it just showed signs of weakness, and uh, they ridiculed me about it and uh, eventually they uh, sent me over to Texas 
because of the extreme cold weather experience that I had. But instead of treating me for the trauma, they berated me. And, you know, mm -hmm. back in the military, back in those days, <coughs> you know, it was a lot of peacetime. A lot of people didn't have combat experience. So it was more of a authoritarian. Uh, you had to meet their their standards. They, you figured if you're a sergeant, you got to be a fucking asshole. You know, if you're a private, you got to eat shit. But, you know, so it was, uh, it was a different kind of era. Like now in the military, they don't play that shit. You know, you can't berate your soldiers and your Marines and treat them like uh, they're not human just because they uh, experienced something that was out of their control. Yeah, mind you, when that happened, you said it was like, what, negative what? That morning, um, see, I was in air defense by then. So I was working with grunts. I was air defense support system for them. And um, in order for us to shoot our missiles, we had to know the temperature outside because they were ineffective at a certain amount of minus temperature. But uh, so I, every... As a team leader, I would have to call in every morning and get weather check. And I remember calling in that morning, <clears throat> and uh, the, we the weatherman said, the meteorologist said it was minus 67 degrees. And you know, I had to keep a log of this stuff in my logbook. <clears throat> so uh, I had to record the wind chill factor too, because it also added on to if we were able to shoot our missiles. But after he told me it was minus 67 degrees, and then I asked him what the wind chill factor was, he told me who gives a fuck what the wind chill factor is. It's fucking minus 67 degrees, stay in the tent. And he hung up on me. <laughs> it was on the radio, so. But later on that day, we, uh, we packed up and uh, we were rolling out. We had to drive 300-something uh, miles back to Anchorage. And in the convoy, uh, we were lost, broke down. Basically, people passed us up. So many people were breaking down that day that by the time they got to us, it was almost too late. But they got us. So you were like the middle truck, one of the middle trucks? Coming? Yeah, I'm not really quite sure where we were in the convoy, but... You know what was crazy is that uh, where we broke down that we were probably less than a mile away from a rally point where everybody would rally uh, together to count heads and make sure everybody was still okay. And uh, so we were, we could have walked there maybe, I don't know, we could have made it because <clears throat> it was really, really cold. I mean, uh, as soon as that heater turned off and that Jeep, that vehicle shut down, you could feel that cold instantly. What kind of Jeep were you in? Oh, man, it was <laughs> it was one of them motherfuckers you see on, uh, the hell is that old show, man, the old army Jeeps with the canvas tops. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have no Humvees like these cats do now with armor and central heating and air and all this stuff. You guys got it made. <laughs> <laughs> So you had like one of those old fucking school like fucking Jeeps like the yeah, 90, 80 Jeeps. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man, they were old, man. The, the speedometer went, went around a couple of times on them things, man. 
Yeah, but you know what, though? They ran good in the summertime. <laughs> in the fucking wintertime, you just couldn't get those heaters to keep working. So how long do you think it was when you broke down until you broke down, like, until uh, they came? You know, I've, I've been through a lot of therapy and stuff, and we talked about that that certain day, and uh, I remember uh, uh, we trying to imagine how long it was. But, um, well, I think we came to the determination that it had to have been less than 15 minutes because, like I said, that extreme cold, everything happened quickly. Um, you know, once the heat was done in the, in the vehicle, it was, you know, it was less than seconds where the vehicle started to get cold. And then, um, you know, um, it was uh, once we start to, the code to get into us and stuff, we couldn't hardly talk with each other, couldn't communicate. But, you know, once they found us and stuff, they, we were still were able to make eye contact with them. They carried us out, put us into the vehicle, and they actually heated us up too quickly to where we started getting a burning sensation on the skin. Uh, yeah, they eventually got us over to the rally point and they took us in and checked us out. We didn't have frostbite or anything because we, we threw everything we could over us um, to keep that frost off of us, but that cold still got through everything. Was it like a, like, yeah, like a near-death experience? Though? That's where you have battle with the therapy and everything that you deal with now through life? Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely affected me, you know. Uh, after that point there, I kind of lost my spirit. My spirit was broken. Um, um, not knowing that, you know, I was going through these things um, um, and not understanding what was happening. It was That was the biggest part. It was like... Um, you know, while all of a sudden, you know, I couldn't go out at night or while all of a sudden cold weather just had me on my toes or, or you know, how come, you know, my nightmares were instead of my buddy in the vehicle, it was my grandkids or one of my children or my wife. So it's been tough, but, you know, they've gotten better. I mean, it doesn't get better, but it's just easier to get dealt with. So over time, did you uh, ever medicate with marijuana? Hey, you know, I was, you know, when I started with the VA, man, they really were on my, on my butt there. After I retired, man, I just started to self-medicate. You know, before it was alcohol, and um, I was doing it with alcohol because I was working for Boeing, so I, you know, couldn't smoke weed working over there or drug testing people all the time. But um, after I finished and uh, retired, I started to self-medicate with marijuana instead of drinking. And uh, for sure, uh, you know, it's a lot safer. <laughs> I mean, and it definitely helps me sleep. And, uh, and that's what I needed. That's what I needed the most. I needed something to help me sleep. I just couldn't get anything else to help me. You, th you think the VA should allow like more vets and... Well, you know, they're talking about it right now. 
um, these crazy Democrats we got on there right now, man, shit, they're going to legalize shooting up heroin in the fucking church soon. I don't know. <laughs> these guys are crazy, man. They're like super liberal. But anyway, yeah, marijuana, I mean, you know, it's, you know, people have stereotyped people that use marijuana <clears throat> and just assume, you know, you're a bad guy and stuff. But I'm telling you, there's medical uses for it. Um, you know, I go over to this uh, medical clinic here in Illinois, and uh, of course, the state of Illinois, I do consume it here in the state. Uh, but anyway, uh, you see older, older people there, you know? Um, not your typical teenagers with rock concert shirts on and stuff. It was, you know, it's like normal people going down there and getting them a little stash to take home, man, because they want to feel good or they don't want their back hurting, you know. But uh doesn't hurt anybody, man, you know. Hasn't hurt me. Yeah, growing up, growing up, you guys, you always used to dabble with a little bit of weed here and there? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, in the projects, man, you... You gotta eat, man. Shit. <laughs> you, remember, you remember? Do you remember the first time you ever smoked weed? You know what? I, it was over there at the Lincoln School there in the harbor behind uh, the Guadalupe Church. And I was uh, back there with a dude. He was an older guy from the projects. And he was like, you want to hit this? And I was like, well, I don't know. I was like 14 years old. I just got out the power line home. And uh, I took a whiff of that sucker, man. I don't think I ever been that high, man. Shit. <laughs> that first time was like chasing a dragon, dude. You ain't never gonna get that high. Yeah, but that was my first experience there, right there at the Lincoln School. It's, they knocked that down too. I can't even have memory over there. Shit. Yeah, man. The, the, especially the fire too that just recently happened at the Carmelite home. Yeah, that where uh, you actually, not, that's not where you grew up originally, right? It was over there in Hammond, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They knocked that down already, too. But uh, the one in East Chicago used to be a girl's home. Our, ours was the boys' home. And we used to go on picnics and stuff, you know, and go behind the bushes with the girls and stuff. But <laughs> it was all cool and stuff. And then after they uh, knocked down the boys' home, they... Uh, put the few boys they had over there with the girls over there and now it's a co-ed and uh, but unfortunately this summer they had a big fire there so they got some real issues over there yeah man if you guys don't know about it tap in with the Carmelite home in East Chicago just recently had a fire any donations would be helped you can go directly to them she's probably got a website for the St. what is it called oh, you well, remember? they got their uh they got their own website there. Oh, they got their Facebook, Carmelite Home for Carmelite. It's St. Joseph's Carmelite Home. That's what it's called now. It used to be the girls' home, but it's St. Joseph's Carmelite Home. Yeah. And East Chicago. And Sister Giuseppe, she's uh, the big dog there. She's the one that raised me. And um, she runs everything there at the home. So you can. You can go directly to her. You can contact her directly. She's easily to get in touch with. So, so uh, what do you what, what do you do now, man? Being back up here and up north, does does the cold affect you? Being uh, like your first year here, did it like? Yeah, that, that that first year, that first year was tough. But 
It may be, a matter of fact, the first year when it snowed, me and Auntie Chris went to Florida. <laughs> as soon as it snowed, but I told her I can't keep running from this shit, man. We got to stay home, man, and, and deal with the demons, man. And yeah, it's been easier, man. Now, you know, uh, you just don't go too far from home in the wintertime. But uh, yeah, it's getting easier. Hey, how about your little, you got your little hut in the backyard now, man? <laughs> Man, um, my uncle Jerry literally built a fucking summer clubhouse, like his own whole theater room slash bar. Like, he got a whole, he got a whole chair in there, like a comfy couch. He got a whole, yeah, I know. You got to see if he gets a permanent permission slip on or something, man. You know, Jose's been sitting in the cut over here, by the way. He's just uh, just chilling, listening, sitting in. That little shed there, man. I I just had a. A vision one day because it used to be just a regular shed for my lawnmower and stuff and I had a vision that yeah I'm gonna turn this into a man cave man and I just went to work man I never built nothing in my life man but it's been fun googling shit man if you can google you can do anything man hey young from dealing with you what you had to deal with and then having your boys like how did that change your mindset to be on being on being a father yeah well you know I was talking to my son just the other, not recently, about my father, who's, uh, he's on his last, last. He's got cirrhosis of the liver and he's, he's in serious condition, but he's almost out the door. But I just, uh, I was explaining to him that I uh, just, I don't know how to feel, you know? I mean, he never, never really did anything for me. I can't even remember him buying me a, piece of candy or anything. But uh, my son told me, he said, Daddy, he taught, you the, he taught you the best thing you could ever learn is uh, not to be like him. And he was right. That was the biggest lesson I learned from my dad, from my dad not to be like him. Uh, and he didn't even have to be there to teach me that. But, yeah. Yeah, likewise, like, uh, Pops was there, but he was in the distance, so I had to figure it out for a little while until I was, like, in middle school, then I went to go check him out, which it was like I really didn't give him the opportunity, though, because I had so much, like, loss and, you know what I'm saying? But it, I was glad that I had that experience because I didn't really give him the, allow him to discipline me. Like, he just kind of let me, allow me to give me the leeway. Like, he gave me, he didn't, but he gave me enough, though, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes I always felt like uh, like I wasn't good enough type shit. Cause uh, cause you guys were like so close, and I felt bad like I let them down type shit. So, and it was always fucked up for me to think that way too. Cause coming where I came from, but being where I'm at now, and I'm fucking what you did as fathers growing up, learning, watching you, and being you being in my life was also grateful. You know, you're somebody I was able to talk to going through things like men's mental health. Me and Jose was talking about this earlier, about like a lot of us don't have that that outlet to talk to people. You know what I'm saying? And as a kid, you you only could talk to so many people, and then like your father's usually the most per- important person that you, you know you have questions for because you know that's your dad or whatever. I always have questions for. Mm-hmm. And as younger, when he left us, and I was in, then we went to Florida, and things were just crazy, back and forth. It was just weird. Yeah. And then coming back home, and then going back with him in Toledo, and then. The things that, you know what I'm saying, just as a kid growing up too, 
and going and having your own problem, mental issues, going through like all that, and then dealing with my mom's situation. But I, I love my parents, both of them. Uh, I talk to them daily, and I talk to my mom today. But moving past that, growing up, not knowing who you can talk to, and you are somebody I can talk to about it, because you know how I felt about everything. So, yeah, but, yeah, and you know, the biggest thing with me is that um, I don't fucking sugarcoat nothing. So, and uh, I think. My, some of my family members have realized that, you know, if they want to hear the truth, man, just ask me and I'll tell you. But, you know, I've been I've been with my pom-poms with you on this cushion coffee thing, man. I love listening. I, as a truck driver, man, I listen to talk radio like crazy, man. That's all I listen to on the road and listening to your podcasts and all your all your guests that you have on the show, man. That's all the variety of stuff, man. That, even today, now you got you an old veteran over here <laughs> talking the day before Veterans Day. But uh, yeah, man, I like the variety and uh, I like uh, the truth and the wholesome and you know all those uh, interviews. You just had that last one with Nikki, man. That was wild, man. I just couldn't stay up that late. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that he's such an interesting person. That's the great thing about the conversation, too, because it just gives other people outlets and me, me new people, me, new creators, like the people to hear the story, like exactly what I go through as a creator, too, because and it's different for me because I got different elements with all the kids that I got now. Like my Alvalito is just trying to keep popping them out. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this is probably the last one, though. But you yeah. have to trade all those cars in and get you a bus. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one of those eighteen seaters. Yeah, <laughs> a big playpen in the back. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, what do you think the awareness needs to be done for the VAs to help these guys out there, man? That have no uh, bring more awareness, right? Bring yeah, what? yeah. I think I think if hey man, if you know a veteran out there, and even if you're not a veteran yourself, man, I mean this Google stuff is crazy, man. You can Google all kinds of information for veterans on there, and uh, there's a lot of information, man. And all you got to really do is make contact with one person, and uh, you know they're out there to help you. The the legions, all the VFWs, and uh, the American legions, and all there, they all got representatives that can help. Um, if you need, you know, home or need food or something, you can go to those legions and they're going to take care of you. So, but awareness is what it is. And a lot of veterans just don't realize, like I said, I went 30 years, uh, not knowing that I, I had benefits there for me, that I had help there for me. And there, I'm sure there's a lot of veterans out there like I, like I was right now. They really just don't know that there's help out there for them. So one more time, uh, thank you for coming on, Unc, man. I appreciate you for coming on, bringing this awareness more on. I like to get more involved with it because uh, I know you're, my cousins are heavy. They ain't getting out the Marine Corps unless they get thrown out. <laughs> Shout out Jimmy and Jerry, man. You want to say anything before we get out of here, Unc? Yeah, man. Uh, I just wanted to tell you, Mijo, to keep up the good work, man, and keep doing what you're doing, man. And... Uh, uh, you know I'm 100, man, behind you. and I, I'm loving this stuff, man. I, I like your energy. I appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot, man, because, uh, you know, I get more love from strangers and certain individuals, but I appreciate you. Thanks for being there for me. Appreciate you. Thank you, Anthony Chris. Love you. Hey, uh, fuck them bears up, fuck, man. Fuck them motherfuckers up, fuck. But, hey, good thing is... Uh, 
the refs cheated us. We got a quarterback. What do you got? What do you think that uh, when we come back oh, for, we're, off the bye? We're gonna. I don't know what we're gonna do this year, but I'm telling you, Chicago's gonna win Super Bowls with that kid. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> go Bears, man. Yeah, go we're, Bears. We're gonna get out of here with some nappy roots. Poor folks. Peace. Peace.